Good morning. I'm honored to be back with you today. Um, we are so thankful that we did have the precipitation this week, and it did certainly uh, cause pause for us to remember that God is merciful and gracious. Um, our reading from the Old Testament today is from the prophet Nehemiah, uh, chapter 9, verses seven, verse 17. And Nehemiah is recalling what happened when God's people left Egypt. And they refused to listen and did not remember thy wondrous deeds which thou hast performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return their, to their slavery in Egypt. But thou art a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and thou didst not forsake them. Our reading from the New Testament today is taken from the Gospel of Luke. Um, a lot of times we refer to this as the parable of the prodigal son. I know that many of you are familiar with this parable, and I'm hoping to bring you a new and fresh light on thinking about Jesus' message to those who are listening to him. Maybe you can envision yourself in this story as one of the characters. Maybe you can listen to it with fresh ears. And maybe you can see others and yourself in some of these characters. Also, too, how do you view the Father in this story? Listen as you envision yourself in the story and become part of it. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him, meaning Jesus, to listen to him, both the Pharisees and the scribes. They began to grumble, saying, This man, this Jesus, receives sinners and eats with him. Then skipping down to verse 11, Jesus said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. There he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. He was in deep need. So he went, and he hired himself to be one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him to feed his feet in the fields to feed his swine and his pigs. This younger son longed to be fed, to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. He was really hungry, but no one would give him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread to eat? But I am here dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned. I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me as one of your hired servants. So he got up, which uh, means he really, literally in Greek that he got up and left that place and went to his father. And while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for this son. And he ran and he embraced him. He kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put that ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and let us celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and has come back to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son, remember there were two sons, was in the field. When he came, he approached the house. He heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began to inquire, what were these things that could be happening? The servant told him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother became angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But the older brother said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has come alive. He was lost and has been found. God blesses the hearing and reading of his holy word all the time. Please pray with me. Father God, may the words from my mouth be your words, and may the th our thoughts be your thoughts. Touch our hearts. Open our ears to hear you in the midst of all that we have before us. Clear our minds to receive your word. Help us to understand our part in your story. In the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. Well, several years ago, I preached this uh, parable on Father's Day because really it's a story not only of the two sons but also the depiction of a loving father. At that time my Sunday school class in Houston was reading a book by Timothy Keller called The Prodigal God Recovering the Heart of the Christian. In Keller's view he thought the better title for this should have been the parable of the two lost sons not just one but two. For Jesus describes two ways in which alienation from our Father occurs. As we find ourselves in the midst of the storms of life, God speaks to us with precious stories where Jesus touches our hearts. And perhaps you have had or have a rebellious sibling, or maybe you were the one that was the rebellious one, the one who pushed the limits with your parents. Even those of us who followed the rules most of the time, we were certainly not perfect. I know there were times when I pushed my parents. I wanted something, I kept picking at it and picking at it, or maybe I disappointed them because I did something I probably shouldn't have done. But I was blessed that they were always loving and forgiving of me and towards me and my brother, regardless of whatever mischief we had gotten ourselves into. So remember back to the opening of this chapter? It's the setting of a crowd listening to Jesus, telling his parable along with two others. The two other parables were the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost sheep. In the crowd to gather to hear Jesus are the tax collectors, the sinners, those who lived outside the temple elite. Also gathered were those Pharisees, 
those scribes, those who considered themselves the moral insiders, I would call them the do-gooders. So Jesus not only is talking to the sinners, he's also targeting those righteous saints or those who think themselves to be saints. Jesus is indeed a master of instruction. Not only does he give hope and forgiveness to those who have, are unsettled in uncomfortable places, but he also seeks to make us uncomfortable so that we listen to him. Timothy Keller believes um, in his book that Jesus' purpose for the story was truly, like many of his parables, to shatter our categories, to warm our hearts, to make us think differently. This parable is a reflection of humanity and of our relationship with God, not only with each other. This is also a history we share with humanity from the beginning. If you'll remember, God's story starts in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. Like the younger brother in the parable, Adam and Eve grasped their inheritance by taking that bite of forbidden fruit. They gave up all that stress-free existence, living in the garden, to live a life of toil. In another story of brotherly strife, you may remember the story of Jacob and Esau. The younger brother stole the birthright of the older one. Their lives became adversarial, but through God's intervention, they reconciled and they became brothers again. God gave us rules to live by, which were more than we could really live up to. Through the Ten Commandments and the teachings of Moses, the nation of Israel was given rules of living in harmony with God and with each other. The Israelites rejected God's desire that there would be no earthly king. If you, for those of you who are studying, I think, kings in your Sunday school class, you've probably recognized that, that God really did not want a kingdom. He wanted there to be judges and for it to be a holy community. But because of these kings, they suffered greatly. They had battles, they were conquered, they were sent into exile. So in many ways, humanity is really like that younger brother. We seek our own way. We too have instituted rules that may be with good intentions, but really they're not God-given. In order to try and measure up or make goals for ourselves, so in a lot of ways, we're also like the older brother. Like the Pharisees who grumbled about Jesus eating with the sinners, which meant he accepted them as they were. He accepted them as they were. The Pharisees set limits on acceptance. They placed God's love into a well-defined place where adherence to certain standards elevated some folks above others. After all, how could a Jew be in communion with such a crowd of sinners and tax collectors? Yet they were all, because they were chosen, God's chosen people, they did not realize that we are all God's chosen people. Adding to the layers of this story, let's reflect on the position of the father as it would have been understood at that time. You see, when the, father, the son came to the father asking for his inheritance, he was in, a, in effect saying, I wish you were dead. I want my money. And that the day of your funeral can't come soon enough. Give me one third of your property that's coming to me. Indeed, the father had to sell a piece of the promised land that was handed down to him from his forefathers. And the younger said, I want it now. I can't find happiness here with you and the family. There's got to be something better out there. How often do we go our own way, looking for that greener grass, 
asking God to give us what we are owed and denying his sovereignty and rejecting him and his ways. The first of the Ten Commandments to deal with human-to-human -human relationships is found in Exodus 20, 12. It instructs us about human behavior. It's the one that says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land for which the Lord has given you. So clearly, our Heavenly Father has placed much emphasis on relationships, and especially our relationship with Him. God helps us to understand him as our Heavenly Father. So now visualize how it must have grieved that father that one of his sons no longer desired to be a part of his family, that he just wasn't really good enough. Maybe the father thought, was I a failure? Did I not give him or instruct him? What has made him so unhappy? Where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong that his dreams are out there in a worldly nature, not here with the family? Why is it that money is so important to him to fulfill this ultimate happiness that he is looking for? How often do we see this repeated in our world today, where money becomes more important than a relationship? So regardless, this father complies with his son's request, and he goes out and he sells what is required in fulfillment of the obligation of inheritance for a son, so one-third of his, of his worldly goods. So he, this includes parcels of land and maybe even some livestock. This action in the old Hebrew days would have brought shame on the family. It undermined the family's stability. The risk was great also back in those days that such an act could have resulted in ostracization by the community or worse. He could have been stoned. That's pretty serious that the father took the son's request almost to the point that he knew he could have been stoned. The father sacrificed much to honor his son's demands. In many ways, we're faced with similar situations today. Think about when our teenagers break curfew, test the bounds of alcohol or drugs, wreck a family car, or drop out of college to pursue a risky endeavor? Are we just, do we just push back and let, us, let them disappoint us? So parenting is not easy, and it's not simple. So perhaps this father, like a lot of us, say, okay, we'll let him try him. Let him go out there and do what he's going to do, and maybe he'll learn a lesson along the way. But this also, as he sent him out, also meant that he had left what was indeed inherited for the older son. You know, the son still, he still had two-thirds of his um, assets. As we think about this and we think about the going away, does God let us do that too? Sometimes we don't follow his path, and I think God says, okay, you try it your way. See what happens. We often have asked for something or for a certain outcome, and God has given to us. But sometimes not. Sometimes we're really not ready to receive what he has planned for our lives. We act irresponsibly, even recklessly, with what he's given us. Sometimes we misuse the gifts he's given us. And we, more importantly, we've not trusted him. Sometimes we don't trust God. and We limit God and what he does for us. So back to the story. Back to this poor father out in the field after the departure of his son, talking over this stone fence with a neighbor, if you can envision this. His friend says, I hear that this kid of yours is really partying it up out there in that, uh, 
in that foreign land, spending time in that red light district, spreading money around, talking about everybody's talking about it, you must feel pretty ashamed of that kid. After all, you brought him into the world, raised him in a good home. The shame of this son's actions did not end with his leaving. It continued on in that community. So from the parable, we learned that the young man really did learn some hard lessons in that foreign country. Like the old warning, when you have money, be careful who you call friend. Watch out for those good time Charlies. They will leave you off in the, as soon as your funds are gone and move on to somebody else. Or maybe it was his youthfulness, his own self-absorption, or his, just his naivete. But the young man really did act so foolishly. So his money was all spent. And so those so-called friends he had, they were not there anymore. The storm of his own creation and his own behavior resulted in him being down and out, out of money, no friends, no place to live, and the scripture tells us he was very hungry. Jesus tells us in the story that at that time there was a famine in that land, <clears throat> so that meant that jobs and food were very scarce. This young man was starving. He was alone. The best he could do was hire himself out, and the only position he could find was his feeding of swine in the herd for a stranger. This was truly the lowliest of jobs, insulting to anyone who is Jewish. But when you're really hungry, you'll do about anything. He was truly desperate. And to add insult to injury, at that time, Jewish law really did protect, prohibit him having contact with pigs, let alone being a keeper of pigs. So he was really degraded. He was lower than low. He was eating the scraps and the fodder meant for the pigs to survive, living in deplorable conditions. He's what we would call, he hit rock bottom. But sometime or somewhere in that pig pen, in that mess that he'd gotten himself into, into his storm, the scripture tells us he came to himself. The actual Greek word is used to say, for the same term means he emerged from a coma. So if you think about it, he had a fog and all of a sudden the fog is lifted. So he decides to return home in hopes of a better treatment there. Perhaps that little seed that his father planted in his heart years ago was still there, like the heavenly father plants within us. Perhaps it was the answer to his father's prayers that God would bring his son home. His heart was changed and so was his attitude. He remembers how well, and you remember in the scripture, it says how well his father treated his hired servants. They were well fed. The son prepares his speech to appeal to his father, please dad, hire me back as a servant. I hope that I can get some food and better living conditions. I'm really desperate. So in essence, he went home with his tail between his legs, as we call it. He really was hoping to at least survive. So back home, the father heard about the young man's exploits, but he, didn't not, he did not stop to look for him. He did not stop praying for him to return home. From the sanctity of the center of the town, imagine this, he would venture out past the shops, past the marketplace, the storehouse buildings that were on the outer rim of the town, past the city wall to go out to the field. The father would go out to the fields looking for his son in hopes of escorting him back home. 
he passed those who mocked him. He passed those who said he was not right for granting his son such a foolish wish and to, uh, to look for a son who truly had dishonored him. But then that day came. The father saw his son dejected, dirty, skinny, dressed like a beggar, coming across that field. What a glorious sight it must have been for him. The father recognized his son's walk. That's how he knew him, coming across the fields. And in the, the version of the Bible that uh, was translated by Eugene Peterson called The Message, Eugene Peterson describes the father's heart as one is pounding. You can imagine what it was like. It was pounding. The son he'd lost was coming home. And although it was beneath the dignity of an old man at the, in that culture, we learned that he hiked up his garment and he ran to the son. He ran to his lost son. He didn't care what others thought. His son had come back and he was alive. The son was prepared with this speech that we talked about. Father, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. I don't deserve to be called your son. But the father wasn't listening. He just wrapped his arms around him. He kissed him and he welcomed it. The father was not interested why the son returned, but the fact that he had returned. He was not ashamed to have his son back at home. He rejoiced and cherished that he'd return and what this return meant. God, our Father, does the same thing for us. He rejoices when we return to him. Those who are seeking God have already been found by him. We come to our senses like the younger son. We come out of that coma. We turn to God. We go home to be accepted with much rejoicing. One of the most beautiful aspects of the Christian gospel is that God, our Father, loves you and loves me before we change, as we change, and whether or not we change. I hope that you know and believe this. What a father's love. He too rejoices when we return. By the way, aren't you glad that uh, the father met the lost son before the elder brother? His anger and sulking probably would uh, overshadow the homecoming and the outcome would have been much different. Can imagine, he probably would have sent him over to do the lowliest job. He would not have lavished the younger son with the gifts of the ring and the robe or shoes as the servants did not uh, wear shoes and the meal of a fatted calf. At best, he may have hired his brother or sent him away. But in many ways, I can relate to that older brother. Can you? We follow the rules and little may be said. Our lives are built on living up to the expectations of others. We hide from God as others and others as we live behind those precious shields of approval. Just like those religious zealots, those Pharisees of Jesus' time. Like the, Je like the Pharisees and the scribes, we grumble about the brother who eats with sinners. We hold ourselves above all this. Our lives are absorbed by doing what we believe is right. And our thoughts are centered on what we believe we are owed or what is rightfully ours. Just like those who judge Jesus for living in the community, but those who have fallen away, the sinners, it is easy for us to judge others. Like the Pharisees, we say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, Jesus was hanging out with the disenfranchised folks, as well as with those self-righteous Pharisees. Who was more blind? Who was more blind? 
Like the old saying, there are two groups of people in this world, those who are sinners and know it, and those who are sinners and don't know it or who don't want to know it. Perhaps the older brother fell in that second group. Jesus told this story about a man with two sons. Both of them were truly lost. The younger son externalized his alienation, dreamt of the geography, looked to see the grass was greener, wanted to go out and experience whatever was out there, and he escaped to fix his self-worth and his identity. The older brother also felt alienated. He sought approval by doing what was expected. He sought equality in all circumstances. Like we hear children say many times, and I've heard it as a mother and a grandmother, that's not fair. <laughs> How many times do we say that? Do we say that to God? At times, he must have been a pretty miserable person to live with. He even tried to distance himself. If you remember when the younger son came, the older son was out in the field, and he came up and asked the servant, what is going on? And the servant told him that his younger brother had returned. His father had given him the robe, the shoes, the ring, killed the fatted calf. But this, young, this older son also shamed his father. He refused to join in the celebration of his brother. He didn't join the party. He also shamed his father by causing his father to have to come out to him. He did not go into him. We don't know why the elder brother felt slighted by the father. We can only suppose. Jesus doesn't really tell us that part of the story. I think that's why we do self-searching. After all, how could he be so resentful? His in inheritance was secure. He wasn't going to lose anything. Perhaps it makes us ponder and reflect on how we respond to the messiness in our lives, our expectations. We do know that the Father loved both the sons. In the storms of life, our Father rejoices for us like the Father in the parable. And with us, is with us when we return to him. If you've not taken that step to draw closer to God, I encourage you to make that step today. Whether you're the younger son, like the younger son, or the older son, come out of hiding from the shield of approval or from being in that far land. Take responsibility for your sins, confess them to God, and ask for forgiveness. I can guarantee you your Father welcomes you home with an outpouring of love and grace, grace by the death of his Son on the cross. Regardless of how far you've gone or not, you are welcome in, the father's, in our Father's house. Just ask Jesus to fill your heart and restore you. Would you please pray with me? Father God, Father of all of us, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the many lessons we learn from the parables that Jesus has given us so that we can see to get through these storms in our lives. Like the older son, may our eyes be open to your blessings that are freely given by you and not earned by us. Like the younger son, May we see that your plans for our lives are full of many blessings under his care. Over and over, Lord, the Bible repeats your promise that you have plans for us to prosper and that you will never leave or forsake us. May we come to you where we are today. Give ourselves to you as you call us to be. 
Hear our confession of sin, of failure, of ignorance. Help us, help all of us to forgive our own fathers, brothers, sisters, and their faults and failings. May we welcome the tax collectors and the sinners at our tables. Open our hearts to welcome all as we grow as a family into your kingdom. In the precious name of your Son and our Lord and Savior. Amen.